going to waste your time on this midweek episode of the High Motor Podcast. Let's jump right in. First up, it's going to be Connor O'Gara, Saturday Down South, back on the show. Good to have him back again. He was in Baton Rouge over the weekend. And then second is the regularly scheduled programming, Chase Kitty, Sharp Better, breaking down Week 10 college football lines, games to bet, games to avoid, rapid fire, his best bet of the week. This is College Football Week 10 on the High Motor Podcast. Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South back on the show again. You, sir, were in Baton Rouge last weekend for LSU's win over Auburn. LSU will not play again until next weekend in Tuscaloosa. Very simple question for you, sir. Is LSU winning that game? You know, as of right now, I can't pick LSU to win against Alabama. I haven't made an official pick just yet, so I'm subject to change a little bit. I know that's kind of hedging, but... I still think that that Bama at home is going to be able to to still put up a lot of points. And I still would have questions, especially after seeing the late injuries to Derek Stingley and then the Grant's output as well in that game, kind of an overlooked storyline, at least nationally. And we expect them to be fine, but if they're a little bit banged up, I don't know. I just can't sit here and quite pull the trigger yet on the LSU upset. Although LSU has done things Differently, this is a different team than Bama has seen during this winning streak, obviously, against LSU. But, you know, at the same time, it is still a guy who's playing better than anybody in the country when healthy, and that's Tua. If he's healthy, yeah, Bama's going to win this game, I think. But, you know, I I will hedge a little bit and say that I kind of want to hear more about Tua's injury. I want to hear, you know, how he's developing in practice, all that stuff, and just kind of see where we're at on the injury front heading into this one before making an official lock-it-in pick. I want to get into some other semi-related stuff on that in a bit, but the main reason that I reached out to you to chat again was that article on Gene Chizik. For those of you who didn't read it, uh, just Google Gene Chizik Saturday Down South. And a few things here on that. Uh, well, let's just cut to it. Did you get the sense that Chizik, that he'll come back to college football in the near future? Yeah, I think I think he's got coaching in his future. I really do. And I think that you know he's in such a unique situation. You think of typical coach-turned uh, turn analysts, TV analysts, and a lot of them, it's like, yeah, how much interest do they really have? I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's always tough to kind of figure out, but Chizik gets offers every single year, but he doesn't need the money. He doesn't need a title. He doesn't, he's not ring chasing or anything like that. He won a, a, a national title as a defensive coordinator of Texas. He won a national title as a head coach at Auburn, obviously in 2010 with Cam Newton. And this is a, a unique situation because now he doesn't have his kids in still in high school. You know, his son Callie is playing cornerback at Furman and he's an empty nester for the first time. And that was the reason that he had stepped down at as the defensive coordinator at UNC where he had a lot of success in 2015, 2016. And he stepped down because he wanted to see Callie's final two years of high school. And, you know, it, it's a different situation now with him in college. So I think he's going to get back into coaching, whether that's this year or next year, I don't know. I would bet on it happening in the next two years, though, based on everything that I've heard from people around him, based on what I've heard just from talking to him about the profession. But it's going to take the perfect fit. He wants to have a situation where he feels like he can compete for a national championship, even though he doesn't necessarily need the ring. He just wants to be part of that competitive atmosphere if he's going to uproot his life, which is going really, really well right now. I mean, here's somebody who just doesn't need the money. Like, he had that $7.5 million buyout from Auburn, and on top of that, he's done really well financially investing for himself. He owns a couple of restaurants. He owns a couple of properties. Like, the guy doesn't need the money. He coaches because he wants to, and he loves it. I mean, this is somebody who lived in a little apartment on UNC's campus 10 minutes away from 
you know, 10 minutes away from the team's facilities five years after winning a national championship. He did that to be a coordinator. Like, who would do that? I, I just, like, you don't see, yeah, Mac Brown and Les Miles, these are guys who won national championships. So they got head coaching jobs. They turned to, to analyst stuff and to movie stuff and Hollywood stuff. And she's like, no, I, I still want to coach. But, yeah, I, I think it's just going to take the perfect situation for him. There are a few jobs that could open up that I think would make sense for him, but it's just a matter of whether or not that's going to happen this year. I want to ask you about which job specifically, but kind of before that, how in demand do you do you believe he would be? Like if his agent, he still has an agent, right? Uh, of course, of course. Yeah, so he if his agent puts out these yeah, so if his agent puts out feelers uh, to some ads and some search firms, what type of what type of job are we talking? Like, is he into that? Is he in like the top fifteen range or like the top twenty to thirty? So, I, like in the top the twenty to thirty, I'm thinking jobs like like an Oklahoma State type, not saying that's going to open, but like that type of job, a Virginia Tech job, an Arkansas type of job, or is he like a tier or two down, like the Kentuckys, his former employer in North Carolina? Where is he at stock-wise? I think as a coordinator, his stock is, is, is almost, I mean, he could get a job almost anywhere as a coordinator. I, I truly believe that. Even, you know, I asked Nick Saban on the SEC teleconference about it. He was like, if Jizik wanted to get back into coaching in a second, like he could do it. There's, there's no doubt in my mind. Guy's still only 57 years old, and I st- I know that he has been. I you know I confirmed with a source that he had a, an XFL offer as well to coach an XFL team, and it, the logistics of it just didn't quite work out, and it wasn't exactly what he was looking for. But that there was a, a chance that that was going to happen, and you know I, I think that uh, these these power five these these smaller power five programs, I know that there's been interest for him as a head coach as well. And I know that as a defensive coordinator, he's going to have interest at a lot of different places. It's just figuring out, does he like working with the head coach? That was the ultimate reason that he decided to get back into coaching when he was at UNC. Larry Fedora was his good buddy. Larry Fedora basically begged him and said, hey, like, seriously, like, I I need you to come on board. I need you to rebuild this defense, which had finished 120th in the country before he got there. And then he turned him into uh, you know, a unit that finished in the top third in FBS and that, that team that went undefeated in conference play at UNC in 2015. I think that those jobs are going to be sitting there. A job like USF, if that were to open up as a head coaching job, would be super intriguing given his roots in the Tampa area. I think that that would make a lot of sense for him. But it's just going to all depend on what the market looks like. And I think he's going to kind of wait and see. And he's not necessarily in any hurry. He's got plenty of time left. He still acts like a coach. He watches film Monday and Tuesday and still – approaches this like he's going to be a coach one day and I think that he still is coaching in his future so it seems like you would if you had a bet on it you think he would come back as a coordinator not as a head coach probably although you know at the same time I I could I could I could definitely see him coming back as a head coach I would not rule that out at this point just given the presence that he has I mean I talked to one of his former linebackers guy by the name of Jeff Schottmer who you know, had a great one year with him. He's a former UNC walk-on, had a little cup of coffee in the NFL. He's a grad assistant at UNC right now. And he said, you know, his presence is almost too big to be a coordinator just because of the way that he commands a room. People just listen to him. And I totally got that spending, you know, 12 hours with him in Charlotte that day when I was at the SEC Network. He has a presence about him that is unlike a lot of coordinators that you see in college football. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it would really take the perfect head coaching job for him to want to open that up, but I think that there are a lot of coordinator jobs that would make sense for him. I almost don't want to ask this question, but I'm still going to ask it to you because he's he's been out of college football for so long. I would personally like to see him back because I think Gene Chizik is just good for college football. But, I mean, is this 
Is this like a John Gruden situation where the stock just keeps going up and up and up and up despite despite him not actually doing anything directly in the game of football? Well, he does actually do stuff directly in the game. You know, he he does still go to there. There, I mean, people pay him to to fly across the country and sort of like mentor coordinators too. And he'll have you know days where he goes and he, he speaks to different colleges and stuff like that. And you know, he's still uh, he's still obviously involved as an SEC analyst. And he says, you know, I. I, I watch these games and I, and I break down film because I know coaches are watching and I don't want to feed them stuff based on what I'm reading necessarily. I want it to do with my own two eyes. And there are still people in this business who really, really respect him. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that he still is, is involved in the game and he still has great communication, not necessarily in a sideline role per se, but I mean, the guy still is, is reaching out and keeping keeping tabs on all these different defenses, and the guy just knows his stuff. I mean, that's what this comes down to. He can break down a game and tell you how it's going to go based on watching the first two minutes of it, and that's the amazing thing about him. So I, I do think that he's going to have a role, a more active role down the road. It just It's going to depend on where and, and when exactly that is. Connor, back to LSU, um, some SEC playoff stuff. Some losses over the, the last week or two have opened up a few more playoff scenarios that we can toss around here. Um, speaking of, like, nightmare scenarios, so the Pac-12 saw their nightmare scenarios play out earlier this year with all the losses. The Big 12 saw one of their nightmare scenarios play out in Manhattan over the weekend. So so Halloween-related, is there any realistic nightmare scenario for the SEC? And, and yes, we can, we can sit here and say, well, yeah, if Alabama loses to Western Kentucky, that'd be a completely hellish nightmare scenario. But l- let's maintain some some sanity here. So basically, is there anything legitimately nightmarish that can happen over the next five weeks for the SEC, but is still a realistic scenario? Yeah, I think it's the winner of these two huge games coming up, Bama, LSU, and then obviously Florida, Georgia. It's the winner of that game losing again in the regular season. And I'm not going to totally... Uh, based on what we've seen three weeks in a row where we've seen a, a top 10 team go down to an unranked team, just kind of an out of nowhere, we're like what in the world just happened type of performance. So I'm not going to rule that out. Um, but I think that right now that's about the only thing that could really derail the SEC from having a very favorable playoff draw. Because let's think about it. Let's, let's hypothetically play it out. Let's, let's say that LSU loses to – Oh, I don't know. Let's say they lose to A and M in that regular season finale. They 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 beat Bama, but they you know they lose to A and M. They're still going into the SEC championship, obviously, with a path to the playoff. But if they're in a situation where they don't have that loss to give, obviously, and the SEC needs you know LSU to sort of win that game, or else it could be looking at a two loss conference champ. That hurts. I mean that that absolutely hurts, and that's still very much on the table. I wouldn't necessarily pick LSU to lose any of those games, but crazier things have happened. Who knows if Joe Burrow goes down, something like that? You never know. I, I think that right now it's just those two games and how the winner of those games fares the rest of the season. They can't. The SEC would like it if they didn't lose another regular season game, and if they went into uh, the conference championship with an undefeated team, that would essentially guarantee that the SEC is going to have a team in the field because I think even an undefeated team in the SEC championship would would still be in the playoff regardless of how that game plays out. What's your confidence level that we'll have two SEC teams in the field? Is it more than 50%? You know, I'd still say it's 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 under by a, a smidge, and it's under in part because the Big Ten can also have two teams in the field. I mean, 
we're we're caught we're really caught up in talking about Bama LSU and rightfully so I get it it's one versus two it's this great matchup that we've been looking forward to for a long time what about Ohio State Penn State I mean what about this this matchup of, of division foes where you know if Penn State loses that game which they're, they're going to be an underdog in that game like well, I can't 11 and one Penn State still have a path to the playoff, much like 2017 Alabama. I mean, I, I would not rule that out necessarily at all, considering how dominant they've looked. The fact that they already beat um, they, they beat Michigan at home, they're still going to have a chance to accumulate a, another call, couple of quality wins if they if they're able to end Minnesota's undefeated start. I mean, this is a Penn State team that I've been dead wrong on, and I came on this 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 year podcast and said, you know, I wasn't high on James Franklin, didn't think that they deserved to start the season in the top 25, but what what would prevent them from having a path still? Uh, to me, especially if they play Ohio State competitive, the path for a Big Ten two-team bid is still on the table. And that's what takes away from the SEC potentially having two teams in because obviously we think Clemson is going to be able to run the table, have a very favorable draw. And there are other things that can still play out. Oregon can still have a chance to make the playoff be the first team to have a nine-game conference schedule, run the table in the nine-game conference schedule, and then still, you know, able to make it into the playoffs. So that would be really interesting as well. A lot of things can unfold, but I'd say it's probably less than 50% that the SEC is a two-team field right now. Yeah, that Oklahoma loss, I'm not really one to, to overreact to things and say this team is out, this team is in, but I think, um, it, you know, it, it feels like, and we haven't even hit November yet, we'll hear it this weekend, but it feels like that loss kind of opened up quite a few scenarios that are, are fun to toss around. All right, Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South on Twitter at CJ O'Gara. I believe that Chiswick story is pinned atop his page. If you didn't see it or if, if you just suck at using Google. Hey, Connor, always a pleasure. Uh, you headed anywhere this weekend or are you sticking around Orlando? Sticking around Orlando, not going to be going to the cocktail party, but I am going to be going to Georgia uh, next week. Um, my SDS podcast co-host and I, Chris Marler, we're going to make the trip up to Georgia, um, see Mizzou, Georgia. Um, I have a, a buddy, former walk-on at Georgia, who's hooking us up with some free tickets in his suite for that game. So very, very much looking forward to that. It's, it's a busy time of year, needless to say. I was going to say a rough life. You get Baton Rouge one week and a couple weeks later, Athens, not too bad. Hey, Connor, uh, safe travels with that. Always a pleasure talking to you, and take care. Yep, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Okay, Chase, before we hop into some Week 10 betting stuff here, one thing quickly that I was marinating on this morning, and I want to get your take on based upon a conversation that we've had that we had last week on the Sunday episode and that we've, we've just generally talked about Nebraska and Scott Frost offline before. So on Sunday's episode, at the very end, we kind of gave like this all-overrated Saturday. I said it was a really bad day for teams that have proven to be quite overrated from the preseason. Uh, Nebraska, Texas, Michigan State, Iowa State, Purdue among them. And then this week, I went through and looked at, so I ranked all 130 teams in the preseason. I re-ranked them every single week, and I went back and looked at my preseason rankings. Again, 130 teams, uh, comparing them from the preseason to Week 10. And uh, just to put it out there, Army is the, the most, so they dropped 73 spots from 23 to 96. Again, preseason to Week 10, but Nebraska is second. They were 28th in my preseason rankings, which I like Nebraska a lot this year, not as high as those top 20 Big Ten championship appearance predictions. But still, now Nebraska is 77. It's a drop of 49 spots. And here's where I'm going with this. After the last couple weeks of Scott Frost, I'm kind of getting sick of Scott Frost. The the whole plain Indiana debacle that Indiana, Indiana then responded to, the complaints, I think it was Monday or Sunday, complaints of players wearing sweatshirts to warm up in because it's cold out. It's been a rocky year for him, a rocky start. 20 games into the Scott Frost era, is Scott Frost a top 10 coach in the Big Ten? 
That is a mind blowing question. <laughs> it, it sounds. Okay, it sounds it, ridiculous. Think of how you would answer that. Last year, or maybe like when he was hired at Nebraska, you'd probably say, "Yeah, he's probably a top ten coach going into his first year." Even oh, over the off, definitely top ten before he puts any game. Right, and then even, even in the preseason, if I asked you that in August, you'd say, "Yeah," or even after the South Alabama game, you'd say, "Yeah, probably." But now, is he actually a top ten coach in the Big Ten? I mean, so if you if you run through, I think there's no yeah. debate. Like, there's yeah, no let's deb- run through it. We, we so, James Franklin, the- no. Right. right, so go to Harbaugh, the East. no. D'Antoni, no. Ryan Pat Day, no. no. Ryan Pat Day, no. Uh, Kirk Ferentz, no. Paul Chris, no. So that's one, two, three, four, five, seven. I would put P.J. Fleck in there too, would you? I would definitely put P.J. Fleck above him. So that's eight. So now he's down to number nine. Would you put him like behind Tom Allen? I would say I, think I that's am more impressed by the job Tom Allen has done this year. I'm not willing to put Tom Allen ahead of him as a coach right now. Because of what Frost... So that's how much the UCF stuff weighs for you. It weighs enough to... I mean, so we, we can agree that he has, he's ahead of Loxley, he's ahead of Lovey, and we'll just put Chris Ash in there because he was their coach. Is he ahead of Jeff Brom? Ah, that's so, such a hard Okay, so I, I don't even care what the actual ranking is, but the can point being... Can they be being, 9A and 9B? So the point being is that you can make a case for... Scott Frost being the 11th best coach in the Big Ten. Like, that's the case, depending on where you put Tom Allen and Jeff Brom. Yeah, you can make the case. Isn't that... That is mind-blowing to me. Yeah. I think that's really something to look at. Okay, let's talk about betting. Rapid fire. You want to talk about... We both want to talk about this game. Thursday night, so depending on when you're listening to this podcast, hopefully it's before Thursday night, because Chase is fired up about this game. West Virginia at Baylor. Baylor 17.5-point favorites on a total... Uh, 57 in that game. Why do you love Baylor so much? Yeah, I feel like I always have to apologize to all the West Virginia people that listen to this podcast because they like listening to me. Um, they probably hate you, obviously. Uh, Most people do. Why Why is West Virginia only a 17-point underdog in this game? What should it be? What should I, that line be? Not 17. Uh, 20, 23 and a half, 24 and a half. I think, this, I think this line is soft by a full touchdown. I really do. You're talking about the best and now the first place team in the Big 12 going against, at best, the eighth best team in the Big 12. And I think that is being charitable. We're going to find out what happens when Texas Tech and West Virginia play here you know, shortly. But I, I don't understand how you hang this line at 17. The only thing I can think of is that West Virginia has played some of the top teams in the conference uh and also they opened the season with Kansas, but since then they've sort of rattled off the Oklahoma and, 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 you know, the better teams in the conference, I think top half teams. So maybe they're expecting, you know, they think that the reality is, is being shaped by playing really good teams. But even if that's the case, Baylor is still a really good team. They're the first place team. So why wouldn't you have a bigger line? West Virginia is not a team that keeps things competitive. They're getting killed. And if you go back and look at the season history between Baylor and West Virginia, when West Virginia has been, or when Baylor has been really good, especially under, uh, under some of those Art Bryles years, Baylor kills West Virginia as aggressively as any team in the conference. You know, so why is this number only 17? It's in Waco. West Virginia's beat to hell that, you know, they don't, they, there's, inconsistency at quarterback. It seems like Austin Kendall's not at 100%. Even if he was at 100%, I don't know that you would really trust him to do that much for the offense. 
You know, they're they're missing pieces in, in the linebacking core on the back end. Really, all they have going for them is an above-average Big 12 defensive line. That is it, and, and, and the running backs. But it feels like the running backs have been totally neutralized by a bad offensive line. And I don't mean to go like super drilled down in-depth West Virginia fan on you. It's just there's no reason why this line is only 17. It just doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, this is a drill for me. Whatever your max is, I would seriously think about, you know, unless you're going way deep into your bankroll, don't do anything irresponsible. But if you have a significant bankroll, I mean, this is a huge play for me. I'm going to drill Baylor on Thursday. And I, I kind of like the under too, because as, as many points as I think Baylor could score here, I don't think West Virginia breaks 10 or 14. I mean, Baylor's defense is good and West Virginia's offense hasn't been able to scrape two sticks together. So that, that's just kind of where we're at. I don't understand this line, and I'm going to drill Baylor. Up next, I guess that wasn't really rapid fire because there's a lot to be had there. So up next, we have, we have uh, what do we have, like 11 more games here. Michigan, a 21-point favorite at Maryland. That game has a total of 56. Do you like either of those? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to speed things up here. I, I think if you, if you want to buy Michigan at, at minus 21, you're probably paying a premium here because they just finally got that big win that, that Harbaugh's been looking for. So... I would stay away from the spread here just because it feels like you're buying high. I do kind of like the under, and I've seen some sharp action on that as well. So if you're going to buy into this game, I think the under is where you want to put your money. Houston's going down to UCF. UCF a 22-point favorite in a game. I'm seeing the total, and I don't know if this is the highest total of the week. If it's not, it's got to be damn up there. 70.5 for that one. Yeah, I think uh, this and then the SMU-Memphis game is, is the two highest totals that I've seen. I think there's a Big 12 game that, that comes pretty close. But those are the two highest numbers I've seen. And I like the over here. Uh, from what I can tell, the sharp action's on the over. I do think Houston's defense is not very good. I think UCF, when they play teams that they can expose, uh, they do tend to put up a lot of points. I think there's some evidence of that this year. Uh, so I expect UCF to put up really big numbers. You know, I'm thinking they could break 50 here, and, and Houston is going to do something offensively. They're, they're not going to be a total walkover. So I, I like the over here. Uh, okay, going to uh, – let's go to Virginia Tech at Notre Dame. One week after Notre Dame shits the bed up in Ann Arbor, they're a 17.5-point home favorite uh, against Virginia Tech. The total on that game, 58. This is a stay away from me, and it's because I can make compelling cases for both sides. So if you look, if you look at the actual sides of the game, Notre Dame and Virginia Tech – Virginia Tech quietly, we talked about this a little over the weekend, you and I, Virginia Tech has sort of quietly gotten back into the ACC Coastal race. Uh, they're like 5-2, and two, and, and it's one of those teams where you're like, wait, their record's what? Like, that, that can't possibly be right, but it is. They, they've sort of righted the ship. They had that win over North Carolina. Now they're coming out of a bye, and they're catching 17.5 points. Uh, yes, they have to go on the road. Yes, they have to play sort of a top 10, top 15 kind of team. But that's a lot of points to give a team that sort of quietly has become undervalued after being overvalued for a significant portion of the first half of the season. On the other hand, Notre Dame, just they're just flat out better than Virginia Tech. And if you told me they're going to win by three touchdowns or more, it wouldn't surprise me. You're getting to buy them low because they're coming off of the Michigan loss. I can make good cases for both sides. So I, I, there, I don't really want any part of this game. Let's bring a an over-under total down here a little bit with a game that also has a smaller line. Miami at Florida State. Florida State, three-and-a-half-point favorite. The total on that game, only 47. Uh, this this is an interesting game. I I believe Florida State actually opened at four-and-a-half. It's been bet down to three-and-a-half, which is the number you just referenced. Miami is like my 
super 2019, I don't want to touch any game they're in uh, team this year. I, I just, they're too bipolar. I think I've bet on a game that they were in like four or five times this year and I haven't won a single one. So I'm just staying away from them on principle because I can't commodify them. And it seems like they're a different team from week to week, you know, a bunch of turnover at quarterback and other spots on the field. So I'm staying away from this game. I would think about maybe putting Florida state in a teaser. Looking at another game that has a total of 45 and a half, and that's army at air force army just cannot beat anybody after that nice showing in Michigan. Uh, we won. Turns out Michigan just isn't a very good team. They can't beat anybody. They dropped to San Jose State last week. They lost to Western Kentucky a couple of weeks ago. Scored, I think, only eight points in that game. So Army's going to Air Force. Air Force, a heavy 13.5 point favorite. Again, the total in that game, only 45.5 despite uh, Air Force being a 13.5 point favorite. I think the play here is probably on the under for a couple of reasons. Number one, you expect two service academies to sort of have a gritty sort of low-scoring game, and 45.5 is actually a little higher than I would have thought it would be. If, if you told me to guess the line, I probably would have guessed like 42.5, 42, somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, so I, I tend toward the under here, and also maybe Army plus the points. You know, Army, you, you referenced earlier in the podcast, uh, you know, how, how many spots you've dropped them in your overall rankings that you post every week, and certainly with good reason. They, they've been one of the most... Uh, underwhelming teams relative to what they've done the past couple years of the 2019 season. But, you know, people that have bet them, including me, have lost money on them, but that's because they've been playing as a favorite. Now here they're catching almost two full touchdowns as an underdog. That's a totally different spot for them. And Army is historically a great underdog bet over these last four, five, six kind of years. So lean on Army, but I think under is the stronger play here couple of big uh, Big 12 games here. The first one is a game between two teams that we did not expect to be in this place uh, at this point of the year. Kansas State, 5.5-point favorite at Kansas. The total in that game, 57.5. Are either of these two teams being overvalued right now based upon what happened last week and uh, really throughout the entire season? Yeah, you nailed it, right? It, it's You're coming off a game where Kansas State upsets Oklahoma and then Kansas gets a, a big win as well. It's just as improbable as anything you can really imagine. So it's tough to grade how this line uh, it would have been you know, if one or both of those things had been different. I'm looking at the under here. I think this is going to be a gritty game. It's going to be heavy defenses. It's a rivalry game. I think under 57.5, that feels like some nice value on that because it feels a little squishy. Looking, uh, yeah, let's say in the Big 12, TCU at Oklahoma State, TCU coming off of that uh, Texas win, Oklahoma State coming off that Iowa State win on the road, Oklahoma State a three-point favorite in Stillwater, the total right now looks like it's sitting at 61.5, any interest there? Yeah, Oklahoma State minus three, the, the Cowboys just continue to be undervalued all season, you know, I talked in, in the preseason so over the summer about how I loved Oklahoma State over on the season win totals. You know, we're pretty much there already and we got a month to play. They just keep being undervalued both on the season and in these individual games. They were, I think they were a double digit underdog last week. They won outright. I mean, and now they got to go home and play a TCU team that's not really that good. I understand that they beat Texas last week. I understand that Gary Patterson's a great coach and that they have a great sort of culture of defense and everything, but they're a bottom half Big 12 team this year. And Oklahoma State is minus three at home. That, you know, essentially the, the old wisdom there is if this was a neutral site game, this would be a pick em. I mean, Oklahoma State's the better team every single time. So, yeah, give me Oklahoma State minus the three. 
How about Utah? Utah's a three and a half point favorite at Washington. Uh, pretty low total in that game, forty-seven and a half. As Utah looks to kind of stay in that playoff picture, if they are there, what do you feel with Utah three and a half at Washington? Yeah, this is a tough grade uh, because. I think I tend to lean a little toward Washington as the home dog plus three and a half. I want to say that Utah opened as like a one point favorite and they've been bet up to three and a half. So you're getting good value on Washington and it's a home dog. And you have that low total that suggests it's going to be more of a low scoring game, 24, 21 type of game. So three and a half might actually be a nice bet. The thing I worry about here is as good a coach as we know Chris Peterson is, it's like, uh, how much does this Washington team have left to play for relative to Utah, which is still sort of in the Pac-12 running? It feels like maybe Washington's just playing for the Apple Cup and, and past that just playing out the string. So I, I do have a lean on Washington here, but it, it would be a small bet if I bet it at all. Let's stay in the Pac-12. Uh, it's our last Pac-12. Actually, it's our last Power 5 game. We do have UAB at uh, Tennessee coming up here in a second. I want to ask you about that. But this is the last uh, P5 versus P5 game. Oregon is a 4.5-point favorite at USC, kind of in the same spot as Utah. Uh, we, we talked about the, the Pac-12 and the entire playoff picture on Sunday's episode. We've talked about that in the past, and people are kind of throwing around. Is Utah actually there? Is Oregon actually there on the outside? Kind of looking in a little bit. So Oregon, 4.5 points as they try to stay in that picture at USC, the total on that game is 63. I was surprised that that was a little bit high. Did you think that was high too? It does seem a little bit high here, but that's not my preferred pick here. I just love Oregon. I, I, I think it's a really manageable spread. I think they have a ton to play for. You know, USC is really injured right now. I had in the in the picks column last week, edge sorting that comes out every Thursday at Hero Sports, I had Colorado plus all the points. You know, they almost get the outright win. And it's not because Colorado's better than USC. It's because they're not good on the road, the Trojans aren't, and because they're really injured right now. Well, they do get to play this game in Los Angeles, but they're playing just a way, way, way better team with a lot of second string guys in. And I'm getting Oregon the way better team if the first string players were in and I don't have to lay a touchdown. I only have to lay four and a half points. Give me the Ducks. Three more. I mentioned UAB at Tennessee. I want to ask you about that now. So Tennessee, 12-point favorite at home, playing a hell of a lot better lately. First time in a long time that it looks like the Vols are actually going in the right direction. So Tennessee at home, 12-point favorite over UAB. The total on that game is low. It's at 47.5. Is that too low? I don't know. I don't have a good feel for this game. Uh, the total seems sort of fishy, uh, so I want to stay away from that. Uh, but I guess I would lean under just because it seems fishy. And then it, when it comes to the side, UAB 6-1, and one, but they're kind of a paper tiger. I don't really trust them. Tennessee, as you've mentioned, it does seem like they're improving, like they're figuring some things out, like maybe the calendar is going to turn in November and they're going to be a totally different team than they were in August and September, as we see sometimes happens in college football. Uh, but minus 12, it's kind of a weird number. I don't know how to grade UAB. I'm just staying away from this. Uh, you had mentioned when I was talking about the the what was it the UC yeah Houston at UCF game was a total of seventy and a half. You were right. SMU at Memphis that total is also seventy and a half. And Memphis is getting five excuse me five and a half point favorite at home against the undefeated SMU game day in Memphis. What are you feeling with SMU at Memphis? Uh, this is a tough grade as well. You know, Memphis opened it as minus three. They've been bet up to minus five and a half. So there does seem to be some buyback potential on SMU. Maybe a slight lean to the over here because I think there's some sharp money on the over here as well. Uh, I would think about maybe some sort of teaser, uh, but I don't know that I'll have a, a play on either the side or the total. 
Last one for you, going back out west, BYU at Utah State. I think that's either the last game of the night, or no, sorry, Hawaii plays, but it's one of the two or three last games of the night on Saturday. So BYU at Utah State, Utah State a three-and-a-half point favorite. I don't think BYU has a road win yet this season, but I might have to double-check that. So BYU at Utah State, three-and-a-half point favorite. The total on that game, 50-and-a-half. Yeah, I, I, I just don't care about this game. I'm trying really hard to, but... Not only do I not have a lean on it, I just don't care. I thought you'd for sure care about this game. A few weeks ago, you were gushing over how excited you were for, what was it, Hawaii at Nevada. I thought this game would be right up your alley. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I mean, BYU, it's tough to get excited about them unless they're like a national player. Just because, like Utah, uh, you know, they're not really in a conference race ever, it feels like. You know what, let's just move on. Clearly, you so have I just don't care, you know. Um, I want to ask you about LSU Alabama, what you're expecting there. But first of all, your best bet of the week is it that West Virginia Baylor game, or do you have another one that you like more? Yeah, I, I feel like it's got to be that West Virginia Baylor game. I it's just, I, I don't, you know, I, I already did all of the words on it, so I don't have any more words. Just yeah, Baylor minus the points. I would take it at a way higher number than it's at right now. LSU-Alabama, so that's not coming up this week, but next week. But I want to get your take on that. What are you expecting for a line there? What are you expecting for a total? And what would interest you on that game? Um. Well, first of all, uh, if Tua's going to play, I-, I think is is the biggest conversation point here. Obviously, that would affect the line. I think away from a handicap perspective, I'm just interested in grading the teams, right? Like I, I talked a little bit earlier this week about how I, I think Alabama sort of still has something to prove. Obviously not as a program, but this particular team in 2019, I, I want to see what they're made of. I think LSU has, has proved tons. They've played a much more difficult schedule. And I think I know what LSU is as a team. I don't quite know what Alabama is yet. So I'm interested not only from sort of a football analysis perspective, but also from a handicapping perspective, I'm interested to see how Vegas value these values these two teams. I'm guessing Alabama is going to get a lot of respect because they are this sort of institutional power that public betters like to take a side on. But LSU, like we talked about earlier this week, they are, they've become a very public team and they're very well liked because of all the offense and the change in the culture and Joe Burrow and Coach O and all this other stuff. So I'm interested to see where the public comes down on all of that and how Vegas values both teams. If you had to guess, I, I'm thinking, and I'm not a betting man like yourself, but I'm thinking Alabama like minus three. Is that the ballpark? Let's assume they have two. Is that the ballpark or will it be higher? And if they don't have two, are we looking at a pick? I mean, what's the line if they don't have Tua? I think if they don't have Tua, LSU has to be favored. So LSU will give maybe, what, minus, minus two, minus three, something like that in that ballpark? I think it could be like a minus two and a half if Tua is So do you think it was, are we talking about, what's the swing for Tua? Seven? <sighs> That's really tough. But it, it feels like, I mean, he, he was like a Heisman front runner, so it, I don't think five or six points is totally out of line when you consider how much different their offense looks with him versus without him. And we'll break down that game a lot more next week uh, on that midweek episode. That'll come next Wednesday morning. We'll look at the LSU-Alabama line, uh, Penn State, Minnesota, all of those lines uh, for Week 11. All right, thanks again to Connor O'Gara for stopping by the show this week. Chase and I will be back on Sunday morning, wrapping up Week 10, looking ahead to Week 11 again. And then we'll be back for the midweek episode uh, one week from right now, looking at the LSU-Alabama game and other lines. Check out past episodes, all episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Overcast. Anywhere you do your podcast, and you can always check Twitter for new episodes 
at High Motor Pod. Chase is at Chase A Kitty. I am at A Dowdy88. This was a midweek episode of the High Motor Podcast. Please come back on Sunday for that week 10 recap, week 11 look ahead episode of the High Motor Podcast. Oh, oh, oh.